1 Samuel chapter 3. Um, there's several different places you can just read along as I am reading up here. There's uh, Bibles at the seatbacks that you can borrow and read that, um, or you could read your own Bible that you have with you today. But we are going to read through the whole chapter, and uh, then I will expound on the passage. So 1 Samuel chapter 3 says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that, Eli, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun, began, or begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as the other times, as at other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you, do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew in the Lord, or excuse me, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Amen. So there's a lot to unpack here, and there's several different ways from an application standpoint that I could have gone with this text. But I focused on the calling of God, the calling and the service of God. And the reason why I focused on that application out of this text is because last week we already discussed God's judgment on Eli and his household. And that is brought up again, and we'll talk about it here a little bit. But I really want to focus on our service to the king. And the reason why I say the king is because if you are barely if you are joining us today for the first time, the whole theme throughout first and second Samuel is the eternal king of glory. God as the eternal king of glory. We see all these men who assume leadership positions for the nation of Israel. You know, Eli, Samuel, uh, uh, Saul, David. All these men are appointed leaders and they all fail. But we throughout this whole uh, throughout these two books, we see that God is truly the eternal king of glory. And he is still seated on his throne today. No matter who we have as president, no matter who we have as 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 leaders in this world. God is sovereign and he's still ruling his creation today. 
So that's where this is completely applicable to, to us. So in our passage, we read about the Lord's calling on Samuel's life, and it's a tremendous story. Uh, how, how the Lord appeared to Samuel and how he called him. And, and not only did he call him into service, but he called him to know him. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But see, Samuel had been given to the Lord way before then, as before he was even born. He was set aside. Uh, he, he was set aside by his mother to serve the Lord. And here what we're seeing is that the Lord finally reveals to Samuel what it is that he is requiring of his life. See, I don't know if you know that, but God requires something of someone's life. He requires it. He requires everything of our lives because he deserves it. And here, the Lord is approaching Samuel. He's letting him know, this is what I have called you to. Out of anybody and everybody who could have done this, I have gifted you for this, and I, have, and I am calling you to this. To serve the Lord is a privilege. That's something that we must realize. See, Samuel would serve as an important role, or he would serve an important role as uh, for the nation of Israel, and he would be the prophet of the nation. Not that there weren't other prophets, but he was the main prophet that God would speak to through. And through his life, God would do many great things. But all for the glory of God. It all went back to the Lord. But before all this occur occurred, we see that, uh, that, you know, Samuel was made for this moment. And we see God's sovereign hand over his life. And we get to see it from a bird's eye view. But this same thing happens to us as God equips us and he calls us into his service. But before, like, you know, we get to know what Samuel was. He was a prophet. He was used by God. He did all these wonderful things. But before that, it all began with this calling that we are reading about here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. So what I want to do is I want to look at God's calling on Samuel's life. And I want to relate that to how the Lord has called us to follow him and to serve him. I hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, because together, I, I want us to learn what it means to be called into the service of the king. We are all called into that service, and I pray that we take full advantage of it and enjoy the service of the Lord. So before we begin, though, I want to establish two terms. I want to define them for you so that when I say them, you know what I'm talking about. Number one, when I say calling, I mean uh, God's sovereign drawing of the sinner to two things. His sovereign drawing of the sinner to salvation and also to service. So when I say God's calling on your life, that's what I mean. Okay, so also when I say serving, I think that's really important. Uh, the term serving is an act of grace for the good of our neighbor, for the glory of God. That's what serving is. I think people just focus, when, when you hear the word serving, you focus on, okay, how can I serve in my church? But in actuality, our whole life is a service to God. That's what we're called to do, everything. So if you take the, uh, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? That's, that's one. That's serving God. And then you take the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. That summarizes what we are to do when we serve one another. We act with grace towards one another with a purpose and that purpose is the glory of the Lord. We don't do it for our benefit or just their benefit. We are to help one another for his glory and his honor. Right? So those are the two terms that I think are very important for you to understand as I say them. Calling and serving. So let's talk about the calling first. There are four things that I want to point out that scripture shows us about the Lord's calling. Two things I'm going to group these four things together. First of all, in verses 1 through 10, we see that the calling of the Lord is persistent and it's sure. It's persistent and it's sure. Uh, look at verse 1. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And then it continues on and says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now, as it... When it mentions Samuel ministering to the Lord, um, 
in the presence of Eli, basically that was the, the, the normal priestly duties that uh, one would do in that time. Things like keeping the burnt offering fire going, clearing ashes away from the altar, um, offering morning and evening sacrifices, blessing the people as they perform their sacrifices, making sure that the lamps were lit all the time. Uh, Samuel was a boy and he was already doing all these things. He was uh, working in the temple um, as a, in this case, as a priest in training. And uh, we also see that in verse 1 that it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no frequent vision. I think that's important for us to know because in scripture when the word of the Lord is rare, it's due to sin. When we see God withhold his word, it's due to the sin of his people. And that's something that God wants to make very clear here at this point in time. There was great sin with Eli, the high priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were desecrating the Ark of the Covenant. They were desecrating the temple. They were sinning against the Lord in awful ways. And God was dealing with that sin. And one way to deal with that sin was to hold back his word. When God holds back his word, that is all of our grace and all of our mercy. Imagine your life without the word of God. What would guide you? What would encourage you? What would help you? What would give you hope? We may look at that and say, well, that's not too bad of a punishment. No, that's the worst punishment ever. And he's holding back his word. Only speaking to a few. There are several examples of this in the Bible, but I want to share one from you or with you from uh, the book of Amos. Amos chapter eight. You don't have to turn there because we're not going to spend much time. I just want to read this passage so that you can get a sense of how God interacts with this creation in the Old Testament when they are living in sin. He says, Amos chapter eight, uh, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Now listen to this. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. That was the judgment that God had given the people in Amos' day. So in this case, we know that the silence of God was due to the sins of the high priest and his sons. The high priest Eli not disciplining his sons and then his sons doing immoral acts in service of God. But look at verse 3. This is very interesting here because it says the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of the covenant was or the ark of God was. Now what's interesting here is this was probably a reference to to just time, letting you know around what time it was whenever this vision occurred to Eli. But metaphorically speaking, it could be communicating that although the word of the Lord was rare, it had not yet disappeared. I think that's pretty cool. The lamp of God had not gone out yet. So meaning even though God was judging the nation, his mercy and his grace were still present. And he wasn't done yet and he was about to reveal himself to Eli and that would bless the people from that time on. So I think that's important for us to look at. For the sake of his elect, the Lord would have mercy on the people. But look at verses 4 through 10. I'm not going to read, read those, but I'm going to summarize them. Notice the Lord's persistent calling on Samuel. Samuel was called four times. Four times. Three times he went to Eli. The fourth time, with Eli's help, he finally figured out what was going on and who was calling him. Now, an obstacle for Samuel is introduced to us in Scripture. It says that he did not yet know the Lord. What does that mean? It means he was not, in, in our terminology today, it means he was not saved. It means that he had not given or seen the grace of God. He had not been given or seen the grace of God. 
So he did not know the Lord. That was an obstacle that was in a way. Why? Because of the word, because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. We just had a great Bible study in Romans chapter 10 talking about that exact same thing. How the, how the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is how God is revealed to us. It is how our sin is revealed to us. It is how God calls us to salvation. That can happen through preaching, through reading. If your friend sharing the word with you through text, it doesn't matter. God's word is powerful. There's nothing that can stop it. And so here, even though we see that Eli was, uh, excuse me, that Samuel was, was lost and he did not know the Lord, um, we still see that God was greater than that obstacle. To me, that's very important because I think that there are people in here who are worried about those that, are, that, that they love, those who are kin to them, those who are around them, and you're praying every single day that the Lord uh, approach that person and, and save their souls. But we're yet so worried about all the obstacles that are in the way of that. We know that person is hard-headed. That person, you know, doesn't listen to anybody. That person is extremely lost. And we forget we were that person years ago before the Lord saved us. And we worry day in, day out. But listen, the Lord is sovereign. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will stop him from drawing those that he loves. Nothing. There is no obstacle greater than God. So no matter how great the obstacle is, God is even greater than that. And what's interesting here is that Eli's sons also did not know the Lord. If you back up to chapter 2, verse 12, and look at it very quickly, you see right there, the, 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 the language is there. It tells us they didn't, he didn't, they didn't know the Lord either, but either, but... There are two different things going on here. There's a, a hardening going on, the hardening of the heart going on with Eli and his sons. And then there's the softening of the heart that's going on with Samuel. And you see the Lord's gentleness with Samuel. And then we see his harshness with Eli's son. They both did not know the Lord, but it was completely different circumstances. It reminds me of Romans chapter 2 where Paul is just going at the Israelites and he's going at the Jews and he's, he's, he's reminding them of they were stiff-necked people. They had a hard heart and God had been gracious to them. And he's, he's like, you're taking advantage of God's goodness towards you. Don't you realize you are storing up wrath for yourself? Here, listen here, Romans 2 verses 4 and 5. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Their, their unrepentant heart, they're going about just the way things are they're thinking they're getting away with it there is no God I'd have to answer to anybody I can live the way I want to live this is my life no one tells me what to do how to do it and all the while that person is storing up wrath for themselves and then on the other side you see this hard heart all of a sudden start to become soft the Lord's working through that person the Lord begins to speak to that person through his word, changes that person's life. That person realizes, oh, I do have somebody that I live for. I do have somebody that I must obey. You see this, this, this different story, and it's weird how God's kindness either leads a person towards repentance or it leads a person to depravity. But no matter what, there will be judgment. There will be judgment. Vengeance is the Lord's. And the difference is Christ. You see, if we have Christ, God's kindness leads us to repentance. If we do not have Christ, then his kindness leads us to further depravity. Now, it did not matter that Samuel did not know the Lord because the Lord knew him. And he pursued Samuel until he understood who was calling him and 
what it was he was calling him to do. Now, there's enough information here that this was not just a voice calling out to Samuel. As kids, we hear this story and we think that Samuel just heard a voice. But if we look carefully at Scripture, there might have been something else going on here. See, the word stood that is used in verse 10 is occasionally used when God appears in a theophany. And when you hear the word theophany, you may ask, well, what is that? Well, a theophany is when God takes a physical manifestation to reveal himself to his creation. Uh, the burning bush was a theophany. When Moses, when God appeared to Moses in the, in, in the burning bush. There's several other. Jacob, when he, you know, Jacob, all, a lot of the patriarchs, Abraham. They saw these manifestations of the Lord. The angel of the Lord usually signify the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament usually signifies a theophany. And here, when we read that not only did Samuel hear a voice, but that the Lord at the very end, during the final call, that he stood before Samuel. It's pretty cool to think that the Lord visited Samuel and he spoke to him. See, this would make Samuel's calling completely sure. We see the Lord's persistence in calling Samuel. Even though Samuel was lost, we see the Lord just continually calling him until Samuel understood that it was the Lord calling him. So we see the persistence of his calling. But then on the other side, it's not only a voice, but it's, it's also a, a vision. It's also a manifestation and he stood before Samuel. He says, this is me who is calling you, your Lord, your God, your king forever. But also here is what I am calling you to do. Samuel had no doubt that he was called to follow the Lord and to serve the Lord. See, what we learn from this is that the Lord's calling on your life is the same. It is persistent and it is sure. Yeah, he doesn't appear to us in the form of a theophany, but God, God has shown himself to us. Just because we don't see him in a physical manifestation like Samuel did, it doesn't mean he hasn't revealed himself to us, and it doesn't mean he hasn't spoken to us. Not in a charismatic way where it's just like, well, God's speaking directly to me. No one else is hearing this message. My, this is my message to interpret to you. It's outside of the word of God. I'm not speaking about that. I'm talking about how God, through his word, speaks to our hearts. Because that's the only way we can make sure that it is God. God has spoken, but yet through his word, he continues to speak and direct our hearts. Amen? So we, we can be sure that the Lord is speaking to us. We can be sure that the Lord has called us into service. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there because I really want you to follow along as I read. Hebrews chapter 1. This is verses 1 through 3. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's how he speaks to us. That's how we can be sure. The son of God walked the earth. He died a sinner's death. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And he speaks to us every day because he has sent his spirit to live in us. So when God calls us. We know that there is nothing greater than he. He's persistent in his calling, but he also makes his calling sure to us. See, our Lord Jesus Christ was the final and full revelation of God. By his spirit, he has 
and he will call us into service. And he also will give us certainty that we are where we are supposed to be. I've shared this with you before, but I thought it was very applicable here. People in my past have asked me, why did you become a Christian or why did you become a pastor? And the answer that I have learned to say is because the Lord compels me to serve him in this manner. He compelled me to follow him. He compels me to stay in this service. Because as you all know, I think I made it really clear. If it were up to me, I would not be here anymore. I would not be doing what I'm doing. I'll be perfectly honest with you. My, my, my sinful nature, my flesh, wants nothing to do with this, or maybe not nothing, but hardly anything to do with this. Oh, but the Spirit of God compels me. And it's a wonderful and beautiful thing, and that's exactly what happens to you. Because ministry is not always fun. Ministry is not always easy. Serving the Lord is a sacrifice. It's supposed to be. But yet, the Lord compels us day after day to do what he has called us to do. You see, my term of service for this sermon, it it encompasses everything in your life. Acts of grace on on, on behalf of someone else for the glory of God. What does that mean? As a parent, I'm in service to the Lord. It's an act of grace to raise my children in the fear of the Lord, to clothe them, to feed them. Because I know, I know they don't deserve it. Right? Can I get an amen from parents in here? Amen, right? They don't deserve it. When you go to work, what do you go to work for? It's not just for yourself. It's for your family. It's for your kids. That's service to the Lord. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you stay home. Why? Because of your kids. For the glory of God. Anything and everything you do. That's the way we need to look at life. Yes, does it include ministries within the church? You better believe it. If God has gifted you as a teacher, if he has gifted you as a giver, as he has, if he has gifted you as a counselor, if he has gifted you as anything, that includes the church as well. But this is all of our lives. Our service to the Lord encompasses who we are. And God compels you to do that every single day. There are some of you who are not happy at your job. You're just like, man, this curse, this curse of working every day, it's a difficult thing. I don't know why I do it. If you're a Christian, the answer is the Lord is compelling you to do it because you have a responsibility as a spouse, as a parent. As a person. But you know what? Sometimes. And I think we've all been there before. Because we have we've all been unbelievers before and it's taken us time to come to saving grace. But there are some unbelievers and maybe there are some in here today. There are people who are waiting for the right time to follow Christ. There are some Christians who are doing the same thing, and that sounds funny, but a lot of times what happens is, you know, if you're raised in a Christian household, you're brought up in the fear of the Lord. You were made to go to church because that was part of what you had to do. Those are good things, parents. Keep them up. Expose your children to the word of God. Teach them. Help them. But what happens a lot of times is once Kids reach a certain age, and once they leave that household, they, they want to find their own way. In other words, they need to make the same mistakes that we made to come back to the Lord. So there are some Christians who are just really, in essence, really not following him. 
there's no works to really back it up. But there are many people who are waiting for the right time. They're thinking, well, when I get married, that'd be a good time to follow the Lord again. Or maybe when we have kids, it's important that kids are raised in church. So maybe that's what we're waiting for. Maybe when I have another job that allows me more time to be more involved in my church, in my prayer life, in the service of others. There are so many excuses that people make. But listen, the only right time is right now. Today is the day of salvation. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Now, on the other side, though, we have Christians who are faithfully serving, or at least they're thinking about it. We have a lot of Christians who are thinking about serving. They're waiting for an opportunity to come along. You ever hear that phrase? Well, let me pray about it, brother. I'll just give me some time to pray about it. That means don't bother me right now about it and give me some time. There are many Christians who are waiting for an opportunity to come along that meets their requirements before they serve the Lord. They're just waiting like, oh, that one is not that one's not just the right one. Oh, I'm not called to little kids. Oh, I'm not I'm not called to have kids. I'm not called to be a spouse yet. I'm not all these different excuses. But in reality, if we're honest with ourselves, it's selfishness. It's no it, it really is. That's what it comes down to us being selfish. So they're waiting for the right opportunity before they serve the Lord. Uh, does it fit my schedule? Does it require a little money from me? Is it a position that allows me not to get too involved with other people? Sounds funny, right? But that goes through our minds. I don't want this burden on me. I love the Lord, but I just don't want this burden on me. Listen, if you fall into either one of those categories, I have this message for you this morning. Stop playing games with the Lord. His calling on your life has been persistent and you know he's calling you. You know it. I don't care how many excuses you have made. You know he is calling you. Stop playing games. And do what he has called you to do. The other two things that we see about his calling, verses 11 through 18, we see that the calling of the Lord is effectual and it's also necessary. See, the doctrine of effectual calling is when a person, when a person receives an inward calling of the Holy Spirit to faith in the Lord. That's what that means, effectual. It means effective, completely effective. And so when someone comes to the Lord, it's not necessarily because of the outward call. It's because of the spirit of God working in us and calling us to faith in Christ. See, God's calling on someone's life is said to be effectual because it is effective in bringing out God's desire of salvation or God's desire for that person's life. So what it is basically is God's sovereign drawing of a sinner to salvation. Listen to this out of Philippians chapter two, verse 13. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's God's effectual calling in our lives. It is his spirit who is working uh, in us to will us and to work for his good pleasure. So when, what we're seeing here in scripture is when the Lord called Samuel, it was more than just a calling to serve him. And many times when we look at this passage or when people look at this passage, there's just a focus on that, his calling to serve the Lord. No, it was first a salvific call, meaning a call to salvation. And then it was a calling to serve him as prophet for the nation of Israel. You see, although Samuel had been set aside from creation and although the Lord knew Samuel because the Lord, uh, because he was fearfully and wonderfully made, Samuel, as we already covered, did not know the Lord. 
but it would be through the word of the Lord that Samuel would fully and completely hear the call of God. And it would be then that Samuel would submit to his king. See, many can, can ignore the plea of the preacher. It happens every single Sunday. Across the world, preachers get up here faithfully, uh, preach the gospel, and they implore people to follow Christ, and no one responds. It happens all the time. See, everybody and anybody can ignore the plea of the preacher, but no one has ever denied the drawing of the Father to Christ. When the Spirit of the Lord speaks to a person's heart and draws him to the Lord, there is no, oh, I'm going to pray about it. There is no, I need more time. All there is is, my Lord, my God. That's all there is. Think about it. Think about the day you were saved. I remember the day I was saved, 1996, right out of high school. In fact, that's the year that I graduated. Been visiting this little church that's shaped just like ours. It's in Port Lavaca. It's just a mirror image of ours, Central Baptist. I had been going to that church already for two years because I, I, I had to go to that church in order to date this pretty girl that I'm married to right now. That was, that was something I had to do. Did not want to be there. Day in, day out, or week in, week out, I heard the gospel. Nothing. Nothing at all. Why? Wasn't my time. But one day I showed up, and it was my time. Right about where Pastor Laramie's sitting, I tell you, the church is just like ours, except they have benches where we have chairs. Sitting there hearing the gospel being preached. And I can tell you, I told myself I was struggling. It was like, you know, just like people tell me, do you know something about me? Did you find out something about me? Why were you talking about that? It seems like you're speaking directly to me when you're preaching. And that's exactly what I was going through. Why? Because it is the spirit of the Lord speaking to us. And I was sitting there and I was like, do not get up. Do not get up. I laughed at the people who used to get up and come to the front. It just it was ridiculous to me as an unbeliever. Next thing I know, I was up. I was up front and I was crying in front of people. I didn't cry in front of people. I'm not talking about just crying. I'm talking about snot coming out of my nose, crying, embarrassing stuff. And it didn't matter to me because I met my savior that night. It was the drawing of the spirit of God. There was no denying him. I didn't want to. Why would I deny that was that would, you know, something that was so pure, so good. There's no reason for me to do that. God's calling is effectual. That's why I have confidence that what God has been calling you to do, what he's been bothering you about, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And the time is right. You're going to do it. But let me tell you, don't wait any longer. As I told you, the day of salvation is now. The day for working is now. The day for serving is now. It's today. But when we look at Samuel's calling, it was not only effectual, it was necessary. I say that because The reason why Samuel was created was to be a prophet and a priest. Remember that Samuel was an answered prayer to his mother's plea. We can back up to Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. 
And we can be reminded that Hannah prayed to the Lord for Samuel. And this was her prayer. She said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Before Samuel was even born, God had set him aside. You're no different. You're no different. I'm no different. We were made with a purpose. Man, years ago, one of those years, I, one of those moments in time, I was just struggling. I was struggling in, struggling in ministry. I was tired. I was tired. I was worn out, working full time, ministry full time. Everything just kept on. Family problems, just all kind of different things were just piled on top of me. And I was thinking I was in my office and I was just miserable. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to teach. I just wanted to lock myself in, in a room and, and it just just, you know, just go let time go by. And I was sitting there and I was just thinking how I didn't want to be a pastor anymore. And why, why was I even doing this? It didn't even make sense. There's someone better than me that could do this. And I don't know why, again, God's wonderful and, and, and beautiful spirit. As I was sitting there thinking that, crying my eyes out in my office, my attention was directed. <clears throat> excuse me. My attention was directed to this little Bible right here. Now, this little Bible, um, it still has my scratch and sniff sticker on here that I put as a kid. I remember putting that on there. It says dynamite on it, and it used to smell like lemon. It used to. But this was the Bible. Basically, it's Bible stories that live. This was the Bible that, that my mother used to read to me. So before I went to bed, she would read me this Bible and has illustrations in here and I would able I was able to look at the pictures and we'd pray together then I'd go to bed and you know through the years she gave me this Bible before she before she died she gave me this Bible and said that she wanted me to have it she, she had kept it all those years and so for the longest time I just grabbed this Bible and never opened it and I just put it on the shelf it was one of those things that well maybe when I have kids I can pass this on to them Never thinking about it again, but that particular day, I was uh, drawn to this Bible. I opened it up. Weirdest thing, I had never opened it up before, even when my mother gave it to me. And as I opened it up, I found some notes from my mother. They weren't to me, but just her handwriting. I, you can see how old the pages are started reading through some of this stuff and as I was feeling this emptiness I was feeling this uh, I was feeling like I couldn't make it another day as a pastor as a preacher I, I read this see if I can get through it but I read this it says you my child will be the prophet of the most high to go before him and prepare the way to tell the people of salvation, of forgiveness of sins through the tender mercy of God. When his daylight dawns, giving light to our darkness. And I was like, man, that sounds really familiar. Typed it up, looked it up. Oh, yeah. It was a prophecy about John the Baptist. From Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 78. It's like, wow, how timely was that verse for me? Yeah, I didn't take that as, oh, I'm the prophet of the Most High. I took that as one who was called to prophesy or to proclaim his word. I didn't look at this and say, oh, thank you for the sign that now I know, I know, no, this was truth revealed to me. It was a reminder of that sure calling that I once had, but I lost focus of it because of the trouble that I was going through. It was a reminder, oh, yeah. 
Lord called me to this. Oh yeah, he's going to see me through this. He is with me every single day. He will not leave my side. I cannot do this. But yeah, the Lord can. And through my weakness, you're going to see his power. See, what God has called you to do is what he created you for. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In essence, you were made to follow the Lord so that you can serve the Lord. Many have it backwards. See, don't be that person who thinks that the Lord lives to serve you. Don't have that man-centered theology where you think everything revolves around you, even God. You were made to serve. That's why when you don't serve, you don't feel complete You don't feel right. You don't feel like you are doing what you were supposed to do because you were made to serve. That's like trying to use a hammer as a screwdriver. That hammer is going to say, no way, not supposed to do that. You were made to serve the Lord. The Bible says, Paul says this in the Bible, and I think this should be our attitude. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There are two questions every person needs to answer. Number one, what have I done with the atonement of Christ? In other words, what have I done with the cross? Have I received it or rejected it? The second question, and most of you in here that I know of, you are Christians, you've received that. Now here's the second question you have to answer. What will I do with the calling of Christ to pick up my cross and follow him? That's the one that many of you in here have to answer. That's the one right there. Look, you're done praying about it. You're done thinking about it. Answer the question. Do what you have been called to do. See, you cannot rightfully receive the first one. You cannot rightfully receive the atonement of Christ without without receiving the second calling of serving the Lord. In other words, there's no better way to put it than what James says, without faith, works is dead. Your life and your service to the king, it is necessary because it is what you were created for. As I said many times already, You know the calling of the Lord. Now act upon it. And I'll leave you with this. It's not just about, this passage is not just about the Lord's calling on Samuel's life. It's also, it's also a a very wonderful story about the Lord's care over his life as he calls him. You know, the, the, the great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The great shepherd He calls us into his fold, and then he watches us every single day like no one else has ever watched us. See, the Lord made sure to bless Samuel and to provide him what he needed in order to fulfill his calling. We see this in Scripture. The Lord was with Samuel. And it was evident. If you look back at your passage and you read the final uh, from 19 through 21, you see that, that, that the presence of the Lord was evident in Samuel's life. The Lord's favor is a real thing. Listen, don't let the prosperity gospel or false teachings or preachings ruin that for you. 
The favor of the Lord is a real thing, and it's so wonderful to see it upon somebody. It's so wonderful to to see the Lord just working in someone's life. It is visible. And that was true for Samuel. We see that the Lord, look at verse 19, did not let or not let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, what he prophesied was right because it was from the Lord. Verse 20, we see that he made Samuel great in the sight of the people. Verse 20 also, he reassured Samuel of his presence and he faithfully ministered to him with his word. This reminds me of the New Testament promise to all of those who believe Second Peter verse one or chapter one, verse three, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. In other words, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. See, everyone loves a job with great benefits, right? We all want the health insurance. We want the pension plan, the 401k. We want disability. We want all, this, all these different things that come along with the job. That is something great to have. It is a blessing from the Lord. Well, let me tell you something. In the service of the eternal king of glory, you have the benefit of God's covenant, covenant promise on your life. What is that? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What else could you ask for? He has created you to serve him. He has or will equip you to serve him. And then you have this promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And your excuses are done. They're gone. God has obliterated them. We serve an eternal king who is true to his word and to his people. His covenant promise to never leave us nor forsake us. It should be enough for us. It should be enough to give us confidence and also freedom to fully receive him and to fully serve him. So whatever it is that you are worried about that is causing you not to receive him as Lord and Savior or serve him, I have this plea for you. Let it go. Pursue the Lord and take joy in his presence and take joy in serving him in truth and in spirit. Let us pray.